Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello everyone, this is The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. Welcome back, I'm Alfie Reynolds and Will Kelleher is with me as well. Will, Hello. how are you doing? I'm good. We've got a good view, haven't we? We We're do. We're in a different bit of News UK, let's tell the listeners. Well, we can see all sorts over London, King's College, a bit of snow the out the window. The eagle-eared of The Ruck listeners will be able to tell immediately that we sound slightly different to how we usually do in studio. The podcast is coming to you fractionally later this Monday, but there's good reason for that. We're in a different part of the building, and that is because we've got England and Saracen Sooker, Jamie George, with us today. How are you, Jamie? Hello, all good. How are you? I am very well, thank you. How was acting as the water boy for Saracens at the weekend? <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit different. Um, the main reason I was there as well was because Phil Morrow wanted to watch his son play rugby. So, <laughs> <laughs> priorities. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the priorities are all over the place. No, it was good. It was a bit, it was a bit different. I was only allowed on the radio with Ian Peel not on the radio with all the coaches so I couldn't I didn't get all ah. the, the good juicy stuff but um <laughs> no it was good obviously the game didn't go that well but um yeah it was it was an interesting seeing the other side of it I suppose how, how does all that work we, yeah. we know nothing about the radio we hear we all so know that you wear one on, they're all on different networks okay so like a walkie-talkie kind of thing. walkie-talkie to you know that's from the physios to the coaches coaches so I think each I don't know this for sure but I think one channel will be purely for physios to coaches. Okay. There'll be one channel coach to coach. There'll be one channel like from me to Ian Peel only. Right. Do you know what I mean? So scrum nosing. Um, so basically like uh, yeah, scrum nosing. <laughs> so I wouldn't I wouldn't hear what Mark McCall was saying to you know, I didn't know whether if someone went down injured the physio I, that didn't come into my earpiece yeah, but okay. any time that Peely wanted a message going on about the scrum because we had basically we had quite an inexperienced front row so they thought that maybe I could provide some intel. Yeah. But you said when you were interviewed on the telly the other week that one of the most annoying things during a game is constant messages from the sideline. So were you trying to be sort of, I don't know, limited with your info to your yeah, young like, hookers and stuff? Yeah, I, I I just think like sometimes they're running with obvious statements. It's like, you know, you're 40-0 down. It's like, we need to tackle more. <laughs> it's like, obviously, mate. Or like, you know, we've been turned over 18 times. We need to hit rocks harder. It's like, yeah. we're on the field. We do see what's going on. Mm. And like, I get it because what are the coach, what else are they supposed to do? You know, they need to make sure that the messages get on and get delivered. But I sort of stayed away from that. I had a few little bits to say to... Christian Judge, for example, just saying like, "Look, mate, it looks like you, you know, you could do X, Y, and Z," mm. uh, and he agreed. And then you know, a little bit around, yeah, a few technical bits. But coming in and delivering the big message isn't isn't really my vibe yeah. from from the sideline. The players on the field need to know exactly what's going on. And mate, we've got world class operators in that team. They know what's going on. They don't need me to tell them. How did you get lumps then with the the live interview into the TV coverage? That's TNT. Just. Oh, is it? They choose you. Yeah, they? they chose me. I said, I said, if you choose me, I'm like fully taking the mick. So, <laughs> they were pre-warned. Um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. So 
they chose me. I was, yeah, I was lumped with that, which was brilliant. Oh, okay. Very good. Well, there's loads to chat about on the podcast, Jamie. We'll get into all the latest with, with the Premiership and your perspective from a player's view as well of kind of how things are sitting at the moment. And then Six Nations right around the corner, this new England men's players union to represent their interest with the RFU. That, I think, was a quite a fascinating story that started to emerge last week. But we'll get on to all of that. Shall we start with the Premiership? Let's here, do it. Gents. So... You look at the table, I've got it in front of me. Northampton are top on 39 points and they've won eight of their 11. You've then got Quinns, Bath and Exeter. They've all won seven, lost four. They're on 36, 36, 35 points. And you keep going down the table. And it is something you mentioned in your report, in your piece in the Times. Well, it is so bunched up. Stacked, isn't it? Like, yeah, but it always is to a degree. Jamie, you'll know, like every year we're always talking about it's so close between. Mm. But I think it's normally really, or my perception is it's normally really close for those final two playoff spots. Whereas this year, it seems really close for the whole thing of the playoff spots. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's interesting. I think the fascinating thing about this season is that mid-season break, because I think like, especially seeing as how big the break is and how condensed everything is, who comes out fastest after that break? Because it's a long time. Like, I think our boys are getting 10, 10 days off. Plus, you know, then you do a mini preseason. Like the, it's, there's an element of the unknown. The season basically stops and starts again. So, like, any momentum. So, like, I'd be fuming if I was Northampton. Because, like, you just want to keep that ball rolling. They're playing great rugby. They're doing great things. Then it stops. Then people go away for international duty. They'll probably have more than normal because that's the way it is. Like, how you utilize that time, you know, it's like the start of any season. We started this season all right. Some people didn't. New, you know, I just think it's fascinating. So, as long as you're in the top eight, I honestly think you could go on a run of... Six games at the end of the year, and, and then you know you win the thing. So the, just to uh, put the detail around that, so the, there's two rounds of European Cup now, Champions Cup, then one Prem, then a full seven-week break, isn't it? And then March the 22nd, I think, is the next Prem game. When the Premiership comes back. So yeah. seven weeks is a joke. It's a lot, like, yeah. As in, like, it's great, and it's, it's the right thing to do, and I think it's the right thing for the Premiership. But, like, if you think about that, if you're a club coach, seven weeks is a seriously long time. You can change all sorts or you can lose all sorts, yeah. or you can be loads fitter, or you can be lose a lot of match fitness. It's difficult how, how it'll be interesting how teams try and play that out, because it's unknown. Do you, do you think, that you've just put a thought in my head, if, if there's a team who think, maybe even yourselves, like, so you, you're sixth, you've, you've won six, you've lost five, could you, is it feasible to put together like, a, quite a different game plan in that time, if you wanted to, and come back and say, well, we're going to attack it from March onwards, it's a spring, different weather, We'll put the whole new game plan out on the field. 100%. Like, why not? Like, that, that, yeah. that, like you're not just going to sit on your like sit on your hands for seven weeks and go like we'll just keep doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Even if you're Northampton or Bath who are flying at the minute, you're not going to like rugby. Rugby coaches don't sit still. Like they're constantly looking to evolve. But like then there's the balance of like do we make a change? Do we try new things? Or do we double down on what we're doing? Yeah. And that, like and then that that in itself is fascinating because like let's say I don't know. Like or take Saris out of it. Let's say Bath say carry on saying we're going to keep doing what we're doing, and I think Bath are doing great things by the way. And then you've got I don't know Gloucester who go we're going to change something entirely, and Bath just stay where they are, and then Gloucester suddenly spike and find something. Yeah, yeah. that's fascinating. Like that that really is like, and it, there's more than enough time to do it. Mm. So I think it's good. Uh, this is what we've talked about the the ten team prem, and we we don't like the reasons why we got there because we lost clubs, but. I quite like the ten team prem in some ways. Like you get the gap, you get that rest for the non internationals, you get this new intriguing thing. The top four is gonna 
or maybe even all four of the places could be sorted on the last day. Like, it's going to be a hell of a season, isn't it? And I feel I, I feel obliged here because me and Will agree on this. If Steve Jones was here, he yes. would be saying that it's way too thin. He's not in favour of it at all. So in the interest of balance, <laughs> that there are people that feel that way. How's it felt from a player's perspective, Jamie, in terms of... Like, to, to me, it's more... 10 teams just feels like it flows better because we've got even amount of fixtures. You're not having teams have bye weeks and rest weeks. That always felt a, a little bit strange. Yeah, I obviously you'd prefer the teams not like I For will sure. go on record to say that I'm not happy that the teams are out of the Prem. But I, I think the 10 team, I think 10 teams works. I also think like if you look back and reflect on premiership games that are played during the Six Nations without the Six Nations players and you look at t- attendances you look at the quality of the games, it's poor, like it is. And, you know, that isn't building, growing the game. That isn't, you know, I think the Premiership Rugby has to focus on the best players being on the field at all times and giving itself its best chance, you know. And I think that this this gap, obviously you've got two European games, then one round of Europe without English players, uh, e- EPS players. But actually, I, you know, I don't I don't really see too much of a negative around it. And is that generally the view amongst players, would you say, for this kind of mini break? I'm just interested, you saying it's almost like a pre-season again. I know pre-season's never anyone's favourite time. Like for the guys that aren't necessarily going to be playing in the Six Nations, are they like, brilliant, it's a chance to rest? Or actually are they Go there to like... Go on holiday. Oh yeah, like, but like I was speaking to, like Alex has also got, you know, he's out for the season. And he was like, yeah, I'm going to Dubai for 10 days. It's like, it's not bad, is it? Yeah. yeah. But like, but the guys need it because like you are on the grind. It is monotonous. It is difficult. It's challenging. It's stressful. Like, and that break is, is great. And the way that you manage the players in terms of the balance between rest, like 10 days off or whatever it might be, and then, you know, getting into your work, trying to find new ways potentially of playing. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you hit the ground running when you first get out? But also the balance then of... Guys coming back from the Six Nations where that's as high profile as it's going to get, probably as fatiguing as it's going to get, with you put them in a in a training environment for the first week with a load of guys that haven't played for seven weeks. That balance and how you do that as a director of rugby is is fascinating. Like that's going to be as challenging as as finding out what to do over the next seven yeah. weeks. It, it feels like lots in rugby is changing at the moment, isn't it? And we'll get onto some of it, but the negotiations about what the structure looks like across a lot of things are being discussed at the moment. But uh, for a long time, you and other guys have been quite clear that you're desperate to play for your clubs as much as possible, which is another thing you can do more yeah. with a 10-team prem. Like last season, ones before, you were missing 11 of the games or something, whereas now you're pretty much available all the time. I know the World Cup was a bit different because people need to rest, but that's got to be a benefit, hasn't it? 100%. And like the premiership need, like clubs need their best players playing like that's how you get attendances that's how you get people wanting to come to games and you know I think if clubs are good like Saracens are brilliant at managing rest and managing players and workload and all that stuff as long as like welfare is of a priority and you might you know you can intersperse you know Marrow has one week off I might have the next blah 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 Owen has the next after a World Cup for example then I don't I don't see any I don't I really don't see any issue with it and I think it's it's absolutely the right model going forward should we get into some of the games over the weekend? I don't know if we want to start, Will, with you, where you were on, yeah. on Sunday. You were at the wreck for Gloucester, but not the greatest Wasn't game. vintage. Bath keep winning Gloucester. It's been a pretty good... I, like, I've, I don't want to be negative because I've really enjoyed the Prem season since coming back for the World Cup. And there's been some amazing games, like a couple of them on this weekend were awesome, weren't they? But um, 
I don't know. It was funny. The Bath Gloucester, it may be... It, it was a bit of a weird atmosphere, and I don't know quite why. Like, it was really quiet for a derby game, and maybe that was Bath are flying, Gloucester struggling. They sort of went with that expectation, the rec fans, that they were going to win. He had this really weird passage, which we can talk about. We had the, did you see this, Jamie? The twelve kids. Yeah, let's get into the, Let's get into that. Which that's maybe that killed a whole lot of momentum because everyone just watching it, going, "What has happened? The so, game's kind of malfunctioned." So, here. just explain for those that haven't so, seen it. Everyone who listened to this will understand what I'm talking about when I'm talking about a kick tennis battle. It was one of those, and I think it was six kicks each, twelve. But what happened was because there's a, a, a rule in rugby where you can stand offside in inverted commas, and chase down the kicker if they've advanced five metres. So Dupont does it really well for France. He can't, he's almost in front of the ball quite a lot. Um, and so what happened was basically people like Will Muir for Bath were standing outside the Gloucester 22 trying to chase down Adam Hastings, and Johnny May was doing it the other side. And so you just had almost 30, all of the 30 players in the middle of the field just watching the ball going over their heads. And it being kicked back and forward and back and forward and back and forward. And eventually, Hastings got charged down by Will Muir and it dropped into Johnny May's hands, who was miles offside, but he'd been played onside it because it was charged Bath down. Player. And so eventually, Gloucester knocked on the ball, they lost the scrum and it all ended. And you just thought, what was that about? Like, it's, it's, it's rubbish. The game sort of just broke. It I, just really I just thought, like, it just shouldn't be a, it shouldn't be a law. Like, it's, yeah. the, it's the most stupid. Like, some things are like, you know, are complex scrummaging laws and all that stuff. That to me is just clearly like that just has to change. Like someone's found a loophole, DuPont's found a loophole. Yeah. No problem. That has to change. It was like, you know, it, it sort of brings me back to the England, Italy at Twickenham. Yeah, the Fox rock, thing. That, yeah. Whatever that was. Like, no problem. Like, well done for finding a loophole. You're really, cl- you're really clever. Well done. You're smart. <laughs> but you're ruining the game. So that has yeah. to stop. Yeah. But so the other debate on it, we were talking about this just before we recorded, is. How do we get out of this thing, Jamie, where people look at kicking and just go immediately, I'm bored, it's boring. Mm-hmm. How do we get to a point where things like your semi-final against South Africa, people watch it and go, I'm fascinated by this tactical battle and explain yeah. it better. It's Sometimes it's like the front row and the scrum, isn't it? People just go, I don't know what's going on, so I'm bored. Yeah, I can, I can relate to people that think that the kicking is boring, though. I think... Um, <clears throat> I think... Je- I think pundits have a big role to play in terms of having giving people in layman's terms the general understanding of why you would kick contestable kicks and the link between contestable kicks and scrums. So if you kick a contestable kick, the likelihood of there being a knock-on from either side is high. If your scrum is going well, then you don't mind that. If your scrum's going badly, then you don't kick contestable kicks, you kick long. So like little things like that, I think suddenly you're going like, okay, that's, that, that, is, that is a little bit more interesting. Then you're looking at, I don't know, in terms of protecting the kicker, you know, whatever some people call it, like shielding escorting people back, or whatever, escorting yeah. people back. You look at like the detail in that, you look at the detail in terms of, like, I think you can break it down a lot easier and mm. then understand why you would manipulate a team like that. And also, are there is there a specific person in the backfield that you are targeting? Mm. So a lot of teams leave their scrum halves in the backfield, for example, because, you know, wide right or whatever it might be. So if you've got Freddie Stewart in the backfield and then at the weekend you've got you know, Tom Whiteley, we're not going to kick it to Freddie Stewart, we're going to kick it to Tom Whiteley. How do you yeah. manipulate that so that you kick it on him rather than you kick it on Freddie Stewart who's going to catch the ball 99 times out of And that might take three or four yeah. attempts to move the, exactly. I don't know, the pendulum out of the way. I suppose. Yeah, and, yeah. Like, and the link between your attack. So, for example, if like there should be a numerical advantage somewhere. 
So if teams are expecting you to kick and they put four people back, mm. you've probably got two people on the floor. So that leaves nine people covering the whole field. There should be space in the front line. Yeah. Or you start playing a little bit more. They bring two of those guys forward. There's only two people in the backfield. There's either a space back left, back right, or in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? I don't know whether I'm getting too yeah, complex yeah, no, here, but like, no, yeah. I think it's it's about reframing it, isn't it, for yeah. people? Like you see it on. It always makes me laugh in that that clip of the Bath Gloucester one's a really good example because it gets put up on social media and you have some people saying this is absolute rubbish, and then you have other people saying we need to reframe how we look at the kicking battle. Where was the first kick? Let's say, for example, I can't remember where it did start. Will you might know, but let's say the first kick was Gloucester inside their 22 and at the end of that whole passage of play I know it didn't end up like this because it was charged down and etc but let's just say for argument's sake the end of that passage of play ended up with Bath having a line out 10 metres into Gloucester's half Mm. the net territory gain of that kicking battle and it just reframes the whole idea and people's understanding of what they're trying to do yeah and there's like metrics that people look at now coaches look at you look at France like everyone says France are possibly the best team in the world they kick for the furthest meters out of anyone. So like there are there, like, you know, there are metrics that you can look at. And I just think back to, you know, Monday night football on Sky Sports, for example. Like I, I love football. I do. I don't understand all of it. But like you listen to Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville talking about man marking, for example, off a corner. That is boring. I'm sorry, but that is boring. But the way that they talk about it and the understanding and the level of detail that they get to in the end, I'm fascinated. And then I'm looking for it in a game. I'm going yeah, like, yeah. Well, what, are, are they going zone or are they going man marking? Or are they, is there someone on the back post? Mm. Why would they be putting the ball to the edge of the box? And like, you explain it. I understand it. I now look out for it. And I'm, I'm you know, I get excited about corners. Yeah. Is that, because you're like your cricket as well, that cricket and rugby, are, I feel like in a similar sphere, is, is quite a complicated game if you get into the nuances of it. But are we trying to ask people who maybe don't know about rugby as much as others just to enjoy the game and then they can kind of understand the spectacles, the nuances of it afterwards mm. well, rather than going, oh, sorry, it's all really complicated, but you need to understand all these tiny bits. You say, pick, don't pick need to get into that. Along, yeah, pick it up as you go along. Yeah. I don't know. I just think, I just think like it can be, I just think you need to put a positive spin on it in terms yeah. of like, actually, if you understand it, like, so if you, if you take our game, for example, some of the stuff that Owen was doing was honestly magic, but he was kicking, but he was, manipulating their backfield, kicking mm. the ball away from Freddie Stewart. And it was like, if you actually have an understanding of why he was doing what he was doing, it's fascinating. And that's not just me knowing it, because like, I, you know, I, I wasn't playing, so I wasn't in the plan. But he, I could see him changing the plan mid-game. Yeah, yeah. Going like, oh, well, Freddie's over here. You know, their defence is coming. They're rushing hard. So I'm, and, and it was attacking kicks. Mm. And, that, and the difference between attacking kicks, kicking to score, kicking to get the ball back, rather than just lumping the ball long. Sometimes like, Teams just lump the ball long and then there's this whole thing in rugby like don't get bored, don't get bored, don't get bored, don't get bored. And like you can hear it and like you'd hear coaches shouting it in training. Yeah, yeah. That's different. That is boring. That, you know, we can't, we can't really glorify that. Mm. But there are certain ele- elements of kicking the ball that, well, there are lots of elements of kicking the ball that are fascinating. But that's the, I think that was kind of celebrated in your semi-final. Like, that yeah. kicking plan nearly won you that game. Yeah, yeah. And like, we all know what happened at the end and it was heartbreaking, but I think people were enthralled by it, even though it wasn't a sort of... It wasn't like the quarter-final games in Paris where it was sort of running the ball from your own 22 and stuff like that, but it was fascinating in different ways. It's multiple ways to skin a cat, I suppose. Yeah, totally. We'll move on from Bath and Gloucester in just a sec. The one person I did want to mention, maybe it's a little unfair to mention one name out of all the players that are on that pitch, but Will Muir as a guy who... It's funny, is I know we're always looking at, particularly in the media, Jamie, as you'll be well aware of, who should play for England, who could get an England call-up and all this sort of thing. Of, Of all the names that get 
it's mentioned, mm. it kind of amazes me that Will Muir isn't more in the conversation for England wingers. I think he's been so good and so consistent for Bath over quite a long period. Yeah, like he he's always breaking tackles. There's quite a few of those sorts of characters across the Prem, aren't there? And like you've got guys like Alex Lewington at Saris who've just been consistently brilliant in a good team for a long time, but don't maybe get that extra England recognition or whatever. It's, that's why I think it's, and maybe it's, this is a bit unfair for Jamie to comment on, but it's really fascinating time with England and the way it evolves and who comes into the conversation. Like we met Steve Borthwick the other day for his sort of first chat of the year and he was mentioning a few players that are interesting him. One was Faye Waboso at Exeter, which we'll get onto in a sec, which is quite an interesting topic. Greg Fizzalow, Ethan Roots. Um, Beno Urbano was back on his lips again, which is quite fun. He's having a good season. So there's just loads That's of great these guys. That's great to see, by the way, with yeah. the, the injuries that Ben Urbano's had He's to had a through. brutal run, hasn't he, Jamie? Like, I don't know if you were there when he did his, his yeah, first horrible one. Yeah, it was one. horrendous, yeah. But he's, he's come back. He, look, he looks strong and he's part of a Bath team that are yeah. going, like, he's part of a Bath pack that are going forward. And you talk about, like, you know, the foundations of what England are going to be about. It's going to be about a scrum that goes forward. And, like, yeah. you know, he's showed, him and Will Stewart are showing that they can do that. Yeah, absolutely. But, but just on Bath generally, they probably, they like we're talking about, keeping up the pace with the rest of the guys. Like They kind of needed to win that. They should have won it, and they did. Maybe, maybe regret not getting a bonus point just because it's going to be so tight come the end of the season where they could have got one. But particularly, I suppose, because they had rested the whole team at Leicester trying to manage that. That was really important. They won that game, so they're pretty pleased they do. And now they're right in the pack with everyone else. I think they're what they level completely with Quinns. Yeah, level with Quinns on second on and points. third. Yeah, they're second and third. And Bath, as we rightly say, having a great season. Going back to the point we made at the start about the Premiership and it being so congested, they've still lost four one seven. Like it is just. Yeah. It's so interesting how the playoff race is, is going to take shape. We mentioned him there, and I suppose it keeps us on the topic of wingers, but it maybe brings us on to Exeter, Northampton, Emmanuel Faye, Waboso. So the story last week, Will, I know it's been spoken about if he yeah. is, whether he'd play for Wales or England, is the understanding that he is going to be part so, of a, is it a wider training yeah. squad? So essentially there are alignment camps, I think they're calling them, I think four across the country. Is that right, Jamie? Yep. Yeah. Which aren't training, they're just sort of meetings and stuff. I think right. we did them last year as well yeah, before yeah. the Six Nations. Well, we had, yeah, we had one just before Christmas. Yeah, okay. So the understanding is that he's going to be involved in one of those, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's definitely going to be selected for the Six Nations. The intriguing bit is that there's an England A game now that's against Portugal, and I, I think we're right in saying that that would be their like, capturing team, if that makes sense. If you play for that, you then are English. You're locked in. Whereas that team hasn't existed for so long, it, it hasn't been an option. But just to run people through Faye Waboso's story, it's, it's fascinating and it's so much more nuanced than just the straight are you Welsh, are you English thing because his particular situation is that, well, he's a 21-year-old guy. He tried to get into Cardiff University to study medicine. He had the A-levels but didn't get a place. Um, he then left Cardiff Blues at that point, now Cardiff Rugby, and moved to Aston University where he did get a place to do medicine and then ended up joining Wasps. Obviously, Wasps then go bust. So he then signs for Exeter, and Exeter happened to have a a top university, Russell Group Uni, that he could study at and play for a premiership team. So he's there. Medicine, obviously, is a long degree, six, seven years, depending on how you space it out. Jamie Roberts did a similar thing and did it over double the length of time. So he's, I think, looking at it and going, why would I go back to Wales, really, when I've sorted my uni, I've sorted my club, I'm enjoying it, because... 
if he doesn't get 25 caps for Wales in the next few years, when his contract runs out, he then has to return to the regional side in order to be eligible. So that's where would it's Would he have like, to join a regional side now? Or would it would only no, be so he has signed out. a new contract with Exeter and they've done it before he gets capped, which is clever because if you have a pre-existing contract, you don't then have to go back, um, which they did with Thomas Francis and other guys before, which kept them there for a long time. But then eventually your contract runs out and you do have to go home. So that's where it's a nuanced conversation, essentially. Okay, fine. So that's, yeah, that is the gen on him. Yeah, well, we'll keep an eye on that anyway. As you say, it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be capped or an England Six Nations squad, but I know it was a story that a lot of people were interested in uh, last week. Exeter Northampton itself, Stuart Barnes writing in the paper. There's no doubt it's the game of the season so far. Jamie, Exeter 26 nil up. Northampton, who we've mentioned already, absolutely flying at the moment, coming back into it. This was one where, when I got home, I was quickly trying to find the highlights of. Extraordinary game. Yeah, it's mental. 70-odd points in the game. I mean, you've got to be kicking yourself if you're 26 nil up and you lose that game, like, at home. It's uh, it's brutal. But Northampton rested a few guys, am I right? I yeah. didn't actually see the whole thing. And um, Well, Alex Mitchell came off the bench, which really changed a lot. They put some of those Freeman guys on the came bench. off the bench. Yeah, Lee, Fre- yeah. Mitchell, like, those guys are those, those guys are world beaters. So, yeah, it's amazing. Like, and, and that just goes to show, like, what a great place Northampton are in as a team, like, to be able to show character. Because... It'd be so easy to be away at Exeter and go like, oh, 26-0 down, no worries. Like, try and get a losing bonus point. And like, they've gone, no, like, we're going to go, go and win this. I wanted to ask you about Northampton because they won away to you guys uh, just before the first couple of rounds of Europe. They've continued that winning momentum. They've had some great victories. Another one at a, a tough away ground where Exeter were really strong there. Like, and we've spoken about it, Will, on the podcast already this year that there was often this perception with Northampton, great attacking team, defence was maybe a little bit shaky. And when it came to an away trip to the Stonex at the end of the season, they didn't have what it takes. Having played them and having seen them, like, does it feel like there's something different about this Northampton team? Definitely different. Defensively, definitely different. Set piece wise, they look they look much better drilled. And what they're doing at the minute is really riding riding the momentum. Um, they're doing a good job at, at you know, and like they're finding ways to win games like they did at the weekend, which is uh, which is a special thing to be able to do and they've got a, a lot of good young players that have played a lot of rugby together which goes a long way with it with going on to your game and I know you're disappointed to have lost but are you looking at it as we were talking about earlier going the table says that you're sixth but you're not unhappy with where you are whereas usual seasons you go blimey sixth before the six nations isn't great but yeah I, I actually I've never been bothered about the table yeah um, and I know that's so easy to say but I promise you that's genuinely like I couldn't care where we are as long as you know we're not out of it I like we're not we're not playing the rugby that we need to be playing. We're not playing the rugby. We're not holding ourselves to a standard that we're, we're used to, and that's probably the main concern. There are times where we look magic. We look back. We look we look like Saracens, but there are times where we don't. And I don't just mean that game to game. I mean in game. Mm. So like you watch the Leicester game back, the first ten minutes of the second half, we are as dominant as we've been over anyone. And scrum looks good. Great first phase moves. Get into the twenty two. And then we just turn the ball over and then we go penalty, 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 Mara gets yellow carded, game's entirely different. And that's sort of been the story of our season mm. and what we are trying to search for is that level of consistency throughout a game. And I don't know whether it's a concentration thing. I don't know exactly what it is. If I had the answer, I would like we would have fixed it by now. But you know, that's gotta be where, where our heads are at. There was so I wasn't at the game myself, but read some of the stuff that Mark McCall was saying afterwards about you've been on a hell of a journey. 
but it maybe feels like that journey's coming to an end and a new one starting was kind of the way that he was phrasing it. A new adventure's on the horizon, I think he said. Does well, that feel that way for you guys too, possibly? Or that more um, maybe for not us... Cur- not currently, no. Like, not in it, no. You know, there's obviously whispers about what's who's going where at the end of the season. So obviously, like, you, you'd be stupid not to think about that. But to be completely honest, I, like, genuinely hand on heart, I'm not think- I am not thinking about you know, this being the last dance for some people yeah. or whatever it might be, you know, that we'll be a different team next year. I just, I just want to get, I just want to fix what we've got going on. Like our scrum, our scrum and our mall have been letting us down. It lost us, it's lost us games so far this season. And that's inexcusable. Like with, like rugby wise, like you look at our team sheet, we're, we're a pretty good team. Yeah, of course. But actually like our scrum and our mall have, have been letting teams in and they let Leicester in. Um, and, you know, we've let, like actually they let Northampton in and, you know, there were other games throughout the year, like when we went to Pretoria against the Bulls, same similar thing. So, you know, first and foremost, we need to fix up our set piece and then we need to be a bit more consistent. It, I know it might be an awkward thing to ask you about, but can I ask you a bit about, you can say whatever you like about it, but Owen's situation, because it is, it, the news came out on Friday that he's possibly looking elsewhere. Is it the sort of thing that everyone at the club starts going, oh, okay, that's a big story, or because you're long-term mates, like you yeah. know each other very well, like... It would, only, it, would only, it, a bit? it would only be natural to react that way. And yeah. I reacted that way because I genuinely didn't know and I still haven't spoken to him. Um, and it like gets leaked on a Friday, the day before a game. It's not ideal. Yeah. But yes, yeah, it's, it's, it is only natural and people are turning over the shoulder but like, who would we replace him with? What would happen? Mm. But like, I, I know for a fact that nothing has been signed. So I know that there isn't any, you know, nothing is concrete yet. Everyone who was at the World Cup will have had interest in France in that England team. Like yeah. it's like you know, if I reckon Owen Farrell's had offers in France every year. Like the fact that you know there might be interest now doesn't come as a surprise to me. But you know, I guess with him stepping away from England, you know, does that sort of opportunity potentially be more appealing for him and the reasons why he stepped away? Like I can sort of see that too. Like I don't yeah. know this for him for sure, and I don't know whether he is going. But you know what I know is that he is now focused on making a good decision for himself mm. and a good good decision for, and the right decision for his family. And probably rugby, the rugby decision would often get in, be at the forefront of that. But now, like I'm a proud mate to say, like I know for a fact that regardless of what he's doing, it's the right thing for him and his family. Yeah. What did you make of all that stuff around his decision to step back and all that? As we say, you know him so well. I don't. I don't blame him. Yeah. I don't blame him whatsoever. It was hard. Like mm. I hated seeing him go through it, and yeah. and he was struggling. Like and he, you know, needed a bit of time to work stuff out. So like I was, I was again, I was a proud mate because it takes a big man to to be able to step up and do that. Mm. And you know, I know how much it means to him to play for England. I know how much he cares about the team. I know how much he's loved playing for England over the years. And it's all got a little bit too much, and he needs to step away. That doesn't mean that. He won't ever play for England again. I don't know what the future holds for him, but I just love the fact that he's prioritising his own mental health and, and, you know, the happiness of his family. Does it, or has it made you think about your own um, relationship with fans, us a lot, the media, social media, because something like this has happened to your, your, your mate and someone that you've enjoyed your career with for so long? Yeah, I think that's only natural. Like, I think that you obviously reflect, but like, I, I generally have spent my career playing with a lo- load of superstars and I've slid under the radar, so I'm pretty happy about that, to be completely <laughs> You've done honest. all right, 80 or caps. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've still, yeah, but I've still slid under the radar and, I'm, and I'm, you know, I, I don't mind keeping it that way. But, you know, I think, I think, you know, it does make you reflect a little bit on that. I think, mm. if anything, my hope is that 
the people that booed him, the people that have written horrible messages about him, maybe reflect and think like this is like he is a human being. He has yeah. a family, he has a wife, he has kids, he has a mum and dad who love him a lot who see this stuff and it's hurtful and it's hurting him. And, you know, I, I've got no doubt that there is stuff being written about me. There has been stuff written about me. I'm sure there is. But like, thankfully, I haven't seen too much of it, which yeah. is, you know, nice. And I try not to think too much about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I remember at the end of the World Cup, you saying that you'd like the England team to show a bit more of themselves, maybe, and like to show the characters, the new guys, the younger guys. Where, because you've been in the game a long time now, where's that balance between... Showing us, you've always been pretty good at showing yourself and being yourself, and just you're always the same guy. But you can imagine the younger guys are more nervous about it, maybe, or even some of the older guys who've mm. and others that have seen the way Owen's operated over the last few years and whatever. Like, where's that balance, and how do you kind of, or how do you encourage younger players to kind of just yeah, be I themselves th- around I it? I think, all? I think, like, because cause one of the frustrating things, and I think what people get frustrated with Owen is that he is private and he keeps himself to himself, and like. The, just because he's the England captain doesn't mean that he needs to reveal all. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, well, like Harry pri- Kane's quite yeah. private guy yeah, too, yeah, isn't yeah. he? Like, you know, I, I'm sure people would like him to open up a bit more, but I don't really know. Like, I just think I, I am big on on fan engagement. I am mm. big on you know this Six Nations, for example. I want us to be as close to the fans as possible. Spoke a lot about a lot, a lot about it at the World Cup about taking fans on a journey with us. Like, I want Twickenham, I honestly want Twickenham to be bouncing again. I want it to be a, a horrible place for people to come and play. I want it to be an amazing place for an England fan to come and watch. And I know that we have a responsibility of that in terms of like how we play, how much emotion we show, mm. all that kind of thing. But also off the field in the week, you know, the build-up, you know, use it, the use of social media. I don't, I'm not great with social media, but like how we can engage with fans in that way, I think is very, very important too. Um, so like, you know, I think if you go about it the right way and you're in an environment that encourages it, then that's fantastic. But there is another side to the coin where people receive it in the right way. And like, we are putting ourselves out there because we would love you to know a little bit more about us and grow the profiles of the players within the team mm. so that you can, you feel more connected to the team. Yeah. It's not an opportunity to go, that's cool because I hate you because you try and make jokes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean, yeah. Well, that leads us on quite nicely to maybe shifting the conversation on to more England stuff. We'll leave the Premiership chat there. Just wanted to mention, though, because we haven't spoken about it already. Sale 14, Bristol 22. Great result away from that. Great result for Bristol. I saw them uh, over Christmas against Exeter, uh, which was a bad game from a Bristol fan perspective to watch. So huge win for Bristol. Sale, after we visited them, Will, before Christmas. Put the curse on. (laughs) I think the big thing to point there from a sale perspective is the lack of bonus points you mentioned it yeah. earlier they've got four which is the same as Newcastle joint worst in terms right. of bonus points when we look at the table and we look at the playoffs that potentially might be something which comes back to, to bite them but we'll leave the premiership chat there for now up next on the pod we're going to get in to the story that emerged last week Jamie a good man to have in to be able to speak to us about this the England men's players splitting with the RPA having their own sort of union Jamie can explain all the details of it but that's coming up next on the run hey I'm Ryan Reynolds recently I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f*** are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass." 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So, back end of last week, News emerges, England's men's players replacing the RPA with a new agency to negotiate their contracts and commercial deals. Will, you'd have been across this. Jamie, you're heavily involved in it as well. Who wants to start here? I'm, I've kind of view myself as the layman in this conversation. What's you're, bo- the, you're bottling that. What's the deal? <laughs> you know more than that. Bottled it. I could well, just pass it over. Yeah, it yeah, over, well done, mate. Yeah, I'm a layman as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it is fairly complicated, though, isn't it? Because I think maybe. So I think it's well. It's probably right to say that you're not leaving the RPA, you're, the Rugby Players Association, yeah. who are your trade union. You're keeping your deal with them, but you ch- you've chosen. You voted before Christmas, I think, to be represented by a different company, and it's all to do with your commercial. An image rights stuff is that right? Kind of, yeah. It's it, it is quite complicated. I think the the frustrating thing for us is that this was leaked before we had the opportunity to release a statement to mm. explain everything. So obviously, then there becomes all this hearsay around like the England players want more money, the England players aren't happy with their contract, the England players hate the RPA. It's like there's a few things here. So first and foremost, this isn't a complete split from the RPA. The yeah. RPA has run the England contract for many years, but what we are now doing is we've set we've set up a different company that is independent of the RFU and the RPA to run our to to run the England contract. So that isn't necessarily us. We will still be working alongside the RPA. So the RPA we will be encouraging all the members of Team England to be members of the RPA because the RPA do brilliant work in terms of all the welfare and all the career-ending insurance that they are able to offer. They do fantastic work there. What also is important to say is that this is not the England team saying we are not being paid enough. It is actually nothing to do with money. The Team England is a non-profit organisation, so there is no added money. We're not unhappy with the amount of money that we're being paid. We're very aware that we are very well paid to do what we do. So that that isn't the situation. I've seen a fair bit of that going on. So the main reason for us doing this was it is around the day-to-day running of the contract. So, mm. you know, the RPA had done a pretty reasonable job up until now at running our running our contract, but they never really had anyone work full-time on our contract. So, for example, a Netflix docuseries comes up, and because they've got people working just generally as the RPA, they almost it's almost reactionary in terms yeah. of like, oh, okay, now we'll work. And we don't doubt that they work really hard. Whereas what we've done now is we've set up a different company and we have got someone working, not quite 24-7, <laughs> but full-time. On, that's their on full their, job. That's yeah. their full job to run to run the England contract. Mm. And effectively what we want as players is to be 
included in the conversation in the big decisions within the game yeah and we've spoken about that a lot previously so you know the pga the player game agreement is a relationship between the rfu the, the rpa and the premiership and premiership rugby mm. the rpa aren't signatories yet either we as team england would like to be signatories on everything to do with english rugby which in terms of sorry, England, the England rugby contract. Yeah, and your, your own career, basically. Yeah. Effectively our own career. So we're trying to take a little bit of control on that. So, But by the way, we're also going to be encouraging the RFU and Premiership Rugby to make the RPA signatories on the PGA also because, mm. once again, we are not splitting. We are trying to make it both because they do amazing work with, with player welfare. And people and like would look rest at and all that kind of thing. They'd listen so, to that and go, "It's amazing that they're not." Well, this signatories. is the thing. So, like, yeah. everyone, everyone says for a long, everyone has said for a long time, players need to have a voice. Players need to have a voice. Mm. So, we're setting up an organisation where we're front and front and centre. Honestly, the engagement when we when we started speaking about, you know, we allowed the RPA to pitch. This separate entity yeah. has pitched. We did a uh, constitutionally, it has to go to a vote. We've gone with the, we've gone with the other party. But honestly, the investment and the engagement in the, from the players was enormous mm. because they care and they want change and they want to be involved in the decision making and now is the time the game is constantly evolving and now is the time to be involved in those conversations so like we basically we've now voted a committee of which I'm one one of those players again mm. everyone on the everyone in the EPS votes for that committee so I'm one of the members of the committee and on all affairs that are to do with team england and the team england contract we will meet however often we will need to meet and make a decision and then we'll vote. Were there conversations to have a full-time person within the RPA or did you always feel that it need, it has almost gone beyond that? There was feedback that we, were, that we gave to the RPA, but again, it just felt a little bit like it was too little, too late, mm-hmm. I think. But again, like I was all in favour of giving the RPA you know the the chance to pitch back and we did do that and we had lots of people there in person and live and then but there are some really cool things that we're going to be doing with this team england contract also and that will all be revealed when the press release yeah. comes like i'm just sort of trying to give you a little bit of the strap lines from the whispers that i've heard the negativity that i've heard around this like selfish english players do it at it again this is not some rebel organization mm. it's just us trying to c- take control of our own affairs and be at the forefront of it and I think when you see the full picture, you'll completely understand why. And you'll also completely understand that this isn't a complete segregation from the RPA. We work, we are, we are, we will be working together. So with all this, it, it plays into what we were talking about earlier of this time of great change in rugby. Like, how are you finding all of it? Because on lots of different levels, there are these massive conversations that you're right in the middle of whether it's to do with whether you do or don't sign a hybrid yeah. central contract with England, this stuff, stuff about your club transitioning, doing other things, the England team moving on, whatever. Like, is it it's a weird time to be involved in rugby or is it quite exciting? It's exciting. I think it's great. Like, the, the game's evolving. The game needs to evolve. Like, if we've learned anything from, you know, the unfortunate situation where three clubs went bust last year, like... The game needs to evolve. The game needs to move on. We need docu-series coming in. We need to find different ways of engaging with fans. We, you know, we need all these things. And for a very long time, it has been the players need a voice. The players need a voice. Honestly, now, there were, there were pretty much every member of the EPS put their name forward to be on the committee because they care. Like, they're passionate about trying to make changes. And, like, I can only see that being a positive thing. Yeah, and do you maybe as one of the more senior players now see it as almost your duty? You're you're at 
the middle of it at this point in history almost and you need to do something about it otherwise you'd regret it when you retire well yeah like and I probably won't reap the rewards of, yeah. of any of this stuff but like I care about the game I care about mm. English rugby I care about the premiership like so that's that's why that's why we're doing what we're doing and I think I think it's just so encouraging the amount of engagement that we've had and the amount of positivity we've had from sort of former players and contacts saying like I like what you're doing I like the idea anything that I can do please please reach out and help and I think you know there's honestly like please just wait for the press release yeah. like I you know I can't I'm not 100% certain what I'm allowed to how much I'm allowed to sort of sure. talk about but you know, there's some really, really cool stuff where we're going to try and make a lot of change and engage with a lot of people and, you know, give back a lot to the game as well. Uh, we mentioned the um, hybrid central contracts, however you want to say, and I think England are calling them enhanced EPS. So they'd pay a fee for the year for individual players to have a bit more control over their game time and things like that. And do you think that's a positive step, that that coming in and helping players stay in England? I... Obviously, like the the terms and conditions of the whatever they're called, enhanced player contracts or whatever, haven't been agreed that I know of. Mm. So, like that's part of what this Team England group will be doing. They will be talking to the R, the RFU about how it looks and what it looks like. the The thing that I will say is, if a contract like this keeps the best players in England, then I only see it as a positive. And on the other side of it. I'm, everyone's got their individual situations, but lots of people, lots of fans, lots of us look at it and go, "There's another one going to France." There's another one going to France, and it starts going, "Oh God, this looks like a big exodus." Do you see it like that, or do you look at it as these are individual blokes making individual decisions? It's not this big wider picture of the Premiership's ruined and everyone's leaving kind of thing. I I I, I definitely don't see it as as like a mad exodus. I yeah. I. I think every individual makes a decision based on their circumstance. So like, you know, I, I, I've heard of a few people going over there like, and, you know, it might be financial. It might be because they want to change. It might be because they, they don't, they're fed up of it snowing in London. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like the, yeah. all these type of things are, you know, it's, it can be, you know, there, there are a lot of people going over there. There are, but what mm. it does do, it provides a huge amount of opportunity for young players to come through in the premiership. And I think like we've just spoken about when we were recapping the premiership, like English rugby is in a good place. Like yeah. it's producing great players, good young players. And I think you're going to see that in the Six Nations. I think, you know, this Six Nations squad as ever, the year after a World Cup is going to be different. There's going to be some new faces and people we don't know too much about. And that's so, so exciting. Like the the opportunity for growth in that England team is huge. Yeah. Uh, so where are you sitting with your own stuff? Because what you're 32 now, three, 33. Okay, yeah, I'll take 32. <laughs> <laughs> are you thinking right? One more contract. I'd love to end one club man. Looking at another lines, like all those sort of dream things that you write down maybe after a World Cup mm-hmm. and think these are things I want to aim for. These are the resetting of goals, maybe. Yeah, like I don't I, like goal setting isn't a massive thing of mine. Um, but I think what I what I will say is that I am as determined, as driven, as hungry as ever to keep being successful for England and at, and at Saracens. And staying, at, and staying at Saracens for the long term. Yes. There we go. And that maybe leads us on quite nicely to England. Six nations right around the corner, as we knew it would do post-World Cup, that we'd be previewing it and looking ahead to it before we knew it. I think there's a perception, Jamie, that after the World Cup, given that there was a lot of negativity about the team in the build-up during the tournament as well for for periods as well, but particularly that semi-final and then going on to win the bronze. Do you think that is a platform? There is a platform there now for you 
as a squad and there'll be changes with no Owen, no Courtney, for example, but a platform for you to build upon. Yeah, I think like what we showed, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying the brand of rugby that we played was, was exactly the way that we want to play. But I think the bare minimum of what you need to do when you pull on an England jersey is show fight and you show character. I think that's exactly what we did in that semi-final. I think we showed a huge amount of fight. I think we showed grit. I, showed, I think we showed determination. And I think that's just the base layer. That's the start of what, you know, the bare minimum of what playing for England needs to be about. I think that we can generate a huge amount of momentum off the back of the World Cup. We didn't achieve what we wanted to achieve. Like, we went there to win the World Cup. It'll be a scar that I carry with me for the rest of my life, that South Africa game. We should have won that game. Lots of things let us down and we only just lost. But what it showed to me is that you know, there's some serious talent in this team. When we show character and we show fight like that, on top of the fact that we know that we need to improve our attack, we know that we need to improve our scrum, we want to score more tries, we want people at Twickenham to be on their feet a lot more. Like, when you add all that together, I think there's huge signs of encouragement. And what's it been like for, for you? The hooker position was a fascinating one in the World Cup because you had to do so much of the heavy lifting in terms of minutes. I know Theo, Dan came in and was brilliant at the times we saw him, but there was a lot of responsibility on, on your shoulders and maybe now we'll have guys coming back from injury and, and there'll be other options there as well. But from your point of view, like how, how was that and how has that been in terms of the England and having that much responsibility throughout the World Cup? I, I, I will never complain about playing too much. Like I've been on the other side of the coin and there are times where I was sat behind Dylan, times where I was sat behind Skulk Brits at Saracen sitting on the bench. And, you know, I'll never complain about playing too much rugby, especially for England, because it's something that I absolutely love doing and it's the pinnacle of my career. So, yes, it was, it was you know, it was hard work at times, but I absolutely loved it. I loved the added responsibility. I, had, I loved the added leadership that I had to have within that team. And um, I really enjoyed it. I also loved seeing the growth of Theo throughout that tournament. Like that kid's going to be an absolute superstar. He already is pretty much a superstar. But, you know, his, I just think like the growth of him from the end of the, prem, like the Premiership final where he played an amazing game of rugby up until now, he has grown an unbelievable amount as a player and as a person. And I think that's a credit to him. I think, you know, he's a great kid. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He's a clever kid who works very, very hard. I think it's credit to Saris who have given him so many opportunities. But it's also a credit to the England coaches who have put a huge amount of time and effort and realised this kid is going to be very, very special. And he's got a lot of work to do and he's not perfect yet, but he's, he's, he's tracking very, very well. Do you want a positive England Six Nations stat? Go on then. Or a quiz, maybe. How many times have England won the Six Nations after a World Cup, won directly after a World Cup? How many times? Yeah. Six Nations? Or, yeah, five or six. Five or six. Ooh. How am I supposed to answer well, that? Well, you how can many think World back over oh, the last so two. Think, so 2003, they didn't win it, did they? No. 20, no. 2016, we did. Yeah, Grand 2016, you did. 2020. we did. Yeah, the COVID disrupted. Fantastic. So, that point. so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> yeah, hang on. So if we go back to 1987 World Cup, 1988. <laughs> Mate, I don't... We're not going back <laughs> no, that. No, but no, like, no. Okay, but let's you, just go to the last two and we've done all right. Yeah. So let's hope that... But it is four in total, which is yeah, more than good. anyone else. Yeah. So 19... 19- I don't like looking too far back. Like 1987, like, come on, mate. It was so a, 96, it was an England won it. Game. It was a uh, different game in 2011. Yeah, it was, yeah. France won it in 04. Uh, good stats, though. 08 was Wales Slam. Can always rely on Will for a stat. Good stats. 12, you get, you're getting nausea here, mate. Let's just, 12 was a let's just rein it in. But the, la- <laughs> the last two, England have won yeah, six yeah. nations after and World Cup. Yeah, I think, you know, it's... Um, 
that that obviously is positive. I mean, like... It's the wider point. Sorry to jump in, Jamie. Like you say, 2020, that almost gets forgotten about a bit because of COVID. Like I think there's a, it feels like it's been a long time. Yeah. In a way. like does it? Like, fe- it's been too long. It, like, does it feel like that as players, though? That it's like we need to be far more competitive in terms of being at the, the top of the championship yeah, than yeah. it has been. I know that Steve... Like, Steve is very passionate about winning the Six Nations. And, and, like, that's such an obvious statement. But, you know, like, I think sometimes it's like you previously, potentially, you would look at a Six Nations as a warm-up to a World Cup or, you know, putting yourself in the front door for a Lions tour or something like that. Like, no, let's go Let's go and be the champions of Europe. And it's not. I'm not saying that it's going to be easy because I think this is going to be the most competitive Six Nations. I think it'll be even more competitive than last year. I think France and Ireland and Scotland are going to be hurting from the World Cup. I think there's lots of motivation out there but I think that like you know we're tracking very very nicely and I think you know if we get things right and hit the ground running against Italy then it's going to be a great campaign it's a it's a chance for someone like I know we say that all the time but there's a lot of big players who are not playing in it like we've spoken about Owen Farrell Courtney Laws is not going to be involved Johnny Sexton's not involved Dupont's not involved I don't think that's going to necessarily dampen the Six Nations because it's never a bad tournament is it but you just think there's a lot of teams that are changing or transitioning or coming back with a different energy that it could be quite a different Six Nations maybe. And also I I look at England's fixtures so it's Italy to kick things off in Rome then Wales at Twickenham the week after and there's no easy fixtures in the Six Nations but in terms of the fixture list and starting well is something that I was at Twickenham last year for that Scotland game and it's just such a momentum killer that hopefully it gives you guys an opportunity to at least after that first rest weekend still be in a position where it's like England are there rather than having to make up ground for for the defeat and the opening few weeks. Yeah, historically we haven't started Six Nations well, especially over the last few years. Italy, Italy are, are no walkover at home. This is the thing that probably we need to stress. So, like, everyone on that first weekend will be looking at France and Ireland. That is it Friday night. That's a great start. Marseille, Marseille. Like, that yeah, stadium. Like, so, so, like, look at you guys, like, the eyes mm. light up. Like, brilliant. And whoever wins that, their favourites, are oh, they're going to go on to win it. But, like, as an, as an England player... If I was in the England dressing room, I'd go like, let's make a statement. Like, mm. let's go to Rome and let's make a statement where people go like, okay, this is different. There's, a, you know, some changes to the coaching staff. What does Felix Jones's defence look like? Yeah. Like, let, let's send out a statement that we're not here to mess around. Like, mm. we are here to win this tournament. And that's got to be our, that's got to be our prerogative. Quite a nice thing as well. France, Exciting. fixtures all around the country because of Stade yeah. de France preparing for the Olympics. So Lyon is... Yeah, that's uh, great. Trip. That was Where my... you won your first Champions Cup. Good memories. Correct. Correct. That was probably my favourite. You are a Norse, aren't you? Yeah. You're a massive Norse. 21-9, <laughs> well, Rassing. <laughs> well, it was that, wasn't it? 21-9? Yeah, I'm going to look that up. Was, I think yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. 2016 Champions Cup final. Leon was my favourite city, I think, I visited in the World Cup. Lovely food scene. It's uh, like the Jamie's gastro... probably not going to get there, but um, as in, you're going to get there, but as in, you're not going to go eating. No. Um, but gastronomic capital of France. Of France, Correct. the belly of France, yeah. Uh, but anyway, all the best for the Six Nations, Thank Jamie. And... We're also a tourism podcast, just so yeah. you know. <laughs> The Times doesn't have a travel one yet, does it? So, no, well, uh, well, this can, maybe it does. It Giles Corrin, he could, we could get him on. There yeah, you go. exactly. Uh, i tell you what, Jamie, we'll keep you just for a few more minutes longer. Should we finish off the episode, Will, as we always do, with a, a god or goddess of the week, do you know where you'll go, which direction you're going? I just want to be, just clear it up for everyone. It was 21-9 to Saracens in 2016. <laughs> uh, you got it right first time. Yeah. Didn't even all, need to all, check it. All points for Moan Farrell. There you go. God sure. of the week. Richard uh, Wigglesworth was great that day. Though. Yeah. 
kicking game plan yeah, yeah, worked yeah, yeah. to a treat yeah. anyway sorry Go little anecdote actually I remember so I, I went I wasn't working that weekend but I, I went and watched the Challenge Cup final and Quinns had lost the night before and they were, I would, it's long enough ago so it doesn't matter anymore but there were quite a lot of them I think who didn't want you to win that game based on the Eurostar oh, yeah. I mean funnily enough not many people were wanting the Saracens to win ever <laughs> maybe not so yeah, yeah that's, that's, we're pretty used to that yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway God of the Week uh, we mentioned him very briefly earlier but I would like to give mine to Alex Mitchell just from he can be the sort of representative for that amazing comeback from Northampton uh, this is a stat I'm not sure of, which I should have looked up before, but I think it's probably the second biggest comeback in his Prem history after Bristol Ball. 28-0, that semi-final. Maybe. 28-3, wasn't it? 28-3. Oh, I, would, I, would, I would remember. Alfie's from Bristol, if you didn't yeah. work that out. Um, yeah, so Alex Mitchell, he was brilliant, came off the bench, wrestled that game back, particularly the little run he made on the blind side to put, I think it was Slate home away for that try. Awesome. Got of the week. Very good. I wanted to go for Will Muir. I mentioned him earlier in the pod. I just think he is a very, very good winger, has been very good for Bath over quite a few years, even when they weren't necessarily doing or playing that well. So Will Muir gets my God of the Week. And Jamie George, I don't know if we've ever had a, a guest of this nature do I thought God you were going to say, week. I don't think Jamie's ever been our God yeah, of the Week. I, which oh, is a bit I doubt rude. it. Yeah, I doubt I'm it. Sure. Might have been. I, I told know. you, mate. I told you earlier, I'm under the radar. <laughs> Uh, Jamie, your God or Goddess of the Week? I will go with, and it pains me to say it because he plays for Leicester and it was against Saracens, Tom Whiteley, because Mm. he played scrum half for Leicester this weekend, started um, with Ben Youngs on the bench, and he was at Saracens. He left probably because, you know, he wasn't getting enough experience, exposure, and, you know, potentially back then a weakness or a perceived weakness of his game was his box kicking but he put the money on he put the ball on the money all day against us and put us under a lot of pressure so I was not very happy but you know for him as a bloke because he's a great kid I was happy for him to have, uh, have put in a performance like that celebrating kicking we're back where we started there we you go. go it's come, perfect it's come full circle all you're comes, welcome guys all comes <laughs> together this stuff uh, Jamie really appreciate your time mate Props. Thanks yeah for thanks for coming on really thanks, appreciate thanks for that. coming on all the best for Six Nations Europe Prem with Saracens uh, and all that stuff but uh, yeah all the best thank you very much Will see you next week yeah where are we next week what's happening I, Europe no I yeah we're Europe we're not quite Bordeaux into, Bordeaux away by the way Bordeaux away yeah Damien Penno's in quite good form yeah, there's some. I, I read that. Have you seen that stat that he's apparently he beats seventy five percent of defenders that he tries to take really? on? That's like that's the most. Me- I think that's the stat. There was something mental that came out. I don't think it can be true. But. Well, what he was in. We did our like World Fifteen of the Year at the end of the year, um, which would have been the last pod that everyone listened to, which was a pre-record. Um, and he'd scored fourteen tries in eleven tests. Yeah, and last year, what was it he's had since joining Bordeaux? It's something. I mean, he got four well. in one half of his debut, didn't he? Yeah. At home, yeah. You may have Can to come we stop up with a plan. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, thanks very much. Will, pleasure as always. This has been The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. Make sure you follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. We'll see you next week. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. 
Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.